So I'm going to say this and you're going to laugh, but it's actually. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say this, you're going to laugh, and then I'm going to smack you. Oh, there, there, it's my turn. <laughs> no. But you're going to laugh, but this actually is what, what the Lord wanted me to go into this morning. But uh, when you come to ignition, you come to a different place. It's a unique place. It's, you notice right away as you come that it's a place that's not conventional according to other churches. You'll notice right away that we don't take an offering. You'll notice right away or, or quickly into it that the worship is not about us. It's certainly not about the perfection of presentation. <laughs> it's not about the perfection of music. It's truly about the perfection of our Lord. You'll notice that we worship until the Lord tells us to stop worshiping. It's not a set time. It's not a set situation. If we have certain number of songs planned, oftentimes the Lord will change that up. Now, you may not know that from your seeds, but the team knows that. Because he does it quite a bit. Or songs may be added because the Lord is not done receiving his worship. Remember, the worship is about him. And it's the same with the word. See, I get up here to speak, and if the Lord tells me not to speak, you won't hear anything. You'll probably just hear more worship. Which he's done that. He's done that. I know we do that quite a bit on Tuesday nights, but on Sunday morning, it's his just like Tuesday nights. It's not that Sunday morning is more formal, so we have a program on Sunday morning. No, our program is one thing. What do you want, God? What do you want? Because we're here to be with you. See, when you go and you want to be with him, it's not... We invite you to this place. I know we say that because in our reality, we understand what we can see, touch, smell, feel here. But in reality, what we're saying is, let us come to you. Let us come before your throne. So when he extends worship, it's because he's not done receiving that. And so it is the intent, the charter, whatever you want to call it, of ignition. Wherever he sends us and however big we get, we never want these things to change. You may come on a Sunday morning and it may be a couple hours. You may come on a Sunday morning and it may be much longer. I believe there's a day coming where you'll come. And you won't leave. Did that scare you? Yeah. I believe there's a day coming where 
His presence is so heavy. Because he's not here, we're there. And it's so heavy, you're not going to want to leave. Can't imagine him saying, get out, but I don't know. (laughs) I'll I'll leave that one to him. Because he also has things for us to do, right? So when you come to Ignition, you, you don't experience a normal place. We're just not normal. We're abnormal. You know, you ever, you ever, uh, you young people, except for Peter, he'd probably be the only young person that knows young Frankenstein. Yeah, there you are. Yeah, you, you and I are tracking on this. Yeah, I, I, I just switched it and I put this brain in him and his name was Abby Normal. Like abnormal. There you go. Sorry. That was a segue. That was me. That wasn't the Lord. That was a segue. No, just kidding. But in this idea of what he wants for his bride, what he laid heavy on my heart. First of all, let me, let me explain. I don't know how much he's going to allow me to go into detail about this. But I want to explain what happened as much as he'll allow First of all, let me tell you, I know exactly what happened. There's not a portion of it that escapes me. Because every bit of it was supposed to happen. It needed to happen. And there are parts of it I can't tell you, but you will see soon. For those of you who don't know, that was the destroyer. And for those of you who don't understand why he could come, it was because it was the Father's will. There was something that he needed to hear. I think the last place he wanted to come was here. I think that's the last place he wanted to come. But there were two things that needed to happen just a moment ago. One, he needed to hear, and this I could tell you about, the other part I can't. But he needed to hear his demise. See, the destroyer is not a title. The destroyer is not a example of a type of principality. The destroyer is very specific. The destroyer is a specific principality. And and if you've been here a while, then then you know you've seen that and you've recognized that in, in how God has shown us that and what He's done. And I know online for many people this is going to sound crazy, but that's okay because God told me that He gave me the green light on crazy. <laughs> and uh, I shouldn't even say green light. He kind of started the engine pressed the gas pedal and said, just ride. (laughs) But the destroyer is out of Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. It is a very specific principality. It is a principality that when you read that, you, you think, okay, well, it can't be that because he comes from the abyss, right? He leads. He is, he is the king of these locusts that come and are on the earth for five months in the tribulation. His name is Abaddon, or Polyon, in the Greek. 
But you have to understand that he has to be sent there first. Now, this destroyer has been the one that has been over every nation of power that has had global power, beginning with Babylon, up through even when Christ was crucified, he was over Rome, or over the Roman government. In recent days, some 300 years ago, or a little less than 300 years ago, and, and I know that for, for those of you online, we'll lose half our viewers now probably. But we'll p- pick up another half. That, Anyways, whatever. Father, forgive me. I shouldn't worry about it. <laughs> That's me fighting in my mind. I know you want this to be said. A little less than 300 years ago, Apollyon gained authority over this country. And I won't go into the background of this, but I can say that this is not just a story that was told to us. This was a story that was told and then he had us research. This is found in documentation, historical documentation that has been brought up over the past year and a half. So gaining control, gaining authority of this country, because this country was to become a global dominant country. You look at our country and you see, how did we get so far off? We're a country that's supposed to be one country under God, under the God, under Jehovah. Not under a God, not under a God that that you would serve, no matter who you are, under the God. If you look at the founding fathers and those specifically who came to, to anoint this land for that very purpose, you understand who the God is. Study William Tell, I mean William Penn. Study him and recognize who his God is. That's the one nation under God. Same with the forefathers. One nation under God. How did we get so far off from that purpose? Is it because we're just gullible? I mean, perhaps that had something to do with it. But bottom line is there has been an authority in this country since before it was a country. Recognize that, because almost 300 years ago is when he gained authority, and yet it was less than that that we declared our independence. So you had a major principality. The Lord has told us, many of us, when we ask, well, who is this guy? You know, who is he to Satan? And what we were told is, and this, this, were, this was the Lord's words. He is Satan's prized possession. I'm not going to read into that, except for the fact that he handled a lot of things for the enemy. Now, I can't remember how long ago it was, but, but the, I want to say a year, maybe a maybe year and a half-ish, when the Lord started to have us understand what was going on, 
and then how to break these authorities. You may wonder why I have authority over this principality. I wondered the same thing. I wondered the same thing because it's not about anything that I am. It's not about some gifting that he gave me. That's not how the law works. That's not how God's court works. God's court works because of authorities given through bloodline. If you don't believe me, come up to me after service. I'll, 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 I'll share 12 examples in the Word of God of that for you. I was given the potential for authority because he had authority over me. You understand what I just said? Abaddon had authority over me because of my bloodline. In my generational line, he had authority over me. And when I didn't understand why I would have authority in this place, I asked the Lord, and the Lord said, begin to research your ancestry. Research it in your mom's side through your grandmother. And it was Nanny, but that's how I knew her, right? (laughs) So we researched. And I'm not going to get into that story. I've told many of you that. But we traced it back to the same moment where the destroyer gained authority. Because they don't just gain authority because they desire authority. Understand that. See, Jesus does not have authority in your life until what? Until you give him your life. Right? He gave us free will. He gave us free choice. You can choose to give Jesus your life, or you can choose... To not. It's the same with Satan. He cannot force himself on you to make a choice for him. It's still your choice. So for him to gain authority, he does it in a way to where we choose him. And that's exactly what happened ten generations back. Now see, when something like that happens with the principality... They take a great risk. Just like Satan himself took a great risk in defying God. Clearly. But that risk that he took was with mankind. See, Satan could have just fallen and perhaps been left alone to just wallow in his pity. I don't know. But the moment he engaged with mankind, because mankind was given... A free choice. He tried to get mankind to go with him. And and he did, by the way. Right? He got Adam to sin. That gave authority to Satan. That gave authority to his realm in this realm. Because Adam and Eve were the authority in this realm. Do you you see what I'm saying? Are Are you following this? So Satan gained authority when Adam sinned, but Satan took a big risk in that. Because what authority he had over mankind, when man would then turn and give the authority to God, that authority flip-flops. Do you see what I'm saying? 
See, when Jesus became a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, he paid a penalty for you and me that he didn't owe. It was a debt he didn't owe. Because of that, he literally, the Bible says, he literally broke the authority of death. He broke it. That's the authority that Satan had over all of us. And when he broke it, Satan was crushed. Right? Satan is literally living out his days until his days are finalized. He's already lost. But see, it happens the same in our lives. And and I want to share this with you, then I'm going to go back to the destroyer, but in our own lives, we give authority or, or or sometimes there are authorities in our lives that we deal with. We've seen this in the courts all the time. Oftentimes those authorities are given in our life, but then oftentimes those authorities come generationally. The Bible says to the third and fourth generation, sin is passed down. But then there are other aspects of sin, like a particular sexual sin that goes ten generations. We know the sin that follows death, goes every generation. Because it never got better after Adam. When Adam sinned, we all are born into sinful flesh. So we have these authorities in our lives, and and I know those of you who have been to the courts, many of you, you understand what I'm talking about. You go, and, and to break an authority off of you is not a difficult thing. It's not a hard thing. It's simply asking forgiveness for the buy-in that you, or if it's generationally, the buy-in that you had through those generations. So let's go back to the destroyer for a moment. So the Lord showed me the connection with my lineage. And by the way, it was through human sacrifice. Sacrifice of a little 12-year-old girl. It was done in a way that my 10th generation back grandfather had no idea. And yet he gave his permission. He didn't know what he was giving his permission for. But it happened. And it gave authority. So the destroyer took a chance when he did that. Because somewhere along that line... At any point, God could work in that person's life and turn the table on the destroyer. Not just in their own life. But in the case of me, when it came to me, he gave me understanding of who the destroyer was. And now that I would have, because I have asked forgiveness. I asked forgiveness for my 10th generation back grandfather. For what he did. Even unknowingly. And for each generation down past him, down to me, I asked forgiveness. And asked for a binding and a casting. I remember at my court trial, and this was back when I didn't understand his full plan. I remember I asked for a binding and and before I could ask for him to be cast to the abyss, the destroyer. Lord stopped me. And he said, you have a choice. You have a choice right now. 
He said, you can bind and cast him right now because you have authority to do so. He said, but not everything is ready yet. Not everything will be complete that he desires to be complete, that God desires to be complete. Well, if you know me at all, you know my answer. Okay, I'll wait. I'll wait because I want it to be complete. Then we went through, and that, that's been the greater part of the last year, year and a half, going through training, going through understanding, going through proving out. And I won't get into all that because I want to get to what happened this morning. See, in those court trials, the Father wanted us to have a visual understanding of what was going on. And so he asked Anissa, would she be willing? That was a tough choice. You have to understand the sacrifice that she gave in saying yes. Because it was in the physicality of things that have happened since that has allowed me to be aware of certain things. See, we've been in a stage now where we're just waiting. See, there's one thing that the destroyer is supposed to do. And he doesn't want to do it. Because <laughs> he knows when it's done, he's done. At least he's done until Revelation chapter 9. But he knows that's the end for him. And God knows the timing. Part of what happened this morning was a release for him to do what he must do. It wasn't something I planned. It was something the Lord just spoke through me. But the other part of what the Lord wanted to do was tell him his future. And one thing that came out when I was speaking to him, <laughs> and I, I never thought about this, but literally for eternity... You know, what do they hate most? What does a demonic spirit or a principality hate most? Worship. Yeah. And I found myself saying, for eternity, it'll be like you have these headphones on. You're, you're alone. You have no, no one around you. You're, you're in pain. And all you have is this worship that will encompass your head and your entire self for eternity. I could tell you he wasn't real excited to hear that. <laughs> but he couldn't do anything about it, and he can't do it. And by the way, Satan's getting the same thing. In measure of their sin, I, I, I know the Lord won't, because I know it'll be forgotten when, when everything is cast into the abyss and the abyss is cast to the outer darkness, the Lord says we'll forget. He, he will cause us to forget, but... I wish I could just get a quick glimpse of, of these headphones on Satan. Just having to listen to how good God is. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'll, he'll let us get a picture of that somehow before. So understand that, that there, is, there is warfare that the enemy decides to do. But there is also warfare... That God allows. 
what you saw with worship and all of us fighting together in worship, that was something the enemy wanted to do. Now, now, no matter what, God still has to allow everything, right? He allows it when we have authorities in our lives. We've talked about that. But what he wanted this morning was all of us to fight together. And he still wants that. There are still people that are not giving everything in their worship. They're, they're too afraid. They're timid. I don't know. I, I can't begin to guess the reasons why. Maybe they, they think they weren't built that way. I, I don't know. Or maybe they just had a tough morning. And all those things are real. They're real reasons. But how would you be if you were immediately in your body placed before the throne of God? How would you feel? See, that's what you want to picture in worship. Because that's exactly where you are. But this, this idea, and it was funny because uh, the Lord gave me this this morning. So I, I told him this. I said, well, here's the only, only uh, title I'm getting. Training takes time. And, and so Anissa put this together. And I told her that Alexis would appreciate the, the workout scenario there. <laughs> I'm just thankful that she didn't just put five pounds because that would have made me look wimpy. She put 25. Thank you. Could have put 50. Seriously. <laughs> but training takes time. This thought that he gave me this morning, it fits in to what we are doing here at Ignition. I want you to turn, as a matter of fact, let's, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Okay, remember at the beginning of the church... At the beginning of the church, Jesus spent, uh, well, actually prior to the beginning of the church, Jesus spent over three years with the disciples, who, be, who then became the apostles. Right? He spent time in relationship with them. He spent time training them. He spent time living life with them, teaching them how to deal with different circumstances, but most of all, how to deal and love each other. That's really what it was about. How to love each other, how to love the people that are, that they're going to serve. And if you recall, we won't go through this part, but if you recall that, that, uh, upon Jesus' death, they all scattered. You know, now Jesus knew he had planted good seed in them. And they just needed to see the outcome of his love. So even though they scattered and Satan thought he had a victory, those seeds grew. And three days later when he rose from the grave and they saw him, there was that victory. But yet, there was still something missing. You know, Jesus knew once he rose from the grave and he spent 40 days with them, he knew that in that time frame, he was going to pour into them this idea. This idea of who they were and who we now are. This idea of the bride. And, and as, you, as you look, you, you get a sense of the beginnings of the bride. So, so Jesus... Ascended to heaven, 
Ten days later, they're sitting up in the upper room. And I just want to read this. They're, they're waiting. They don't, remember, they don't know what they're waiting for. We do because we can read beyond chapter 2. You know, we can see what the filling of the Holy Spirit really looks like. But put yourself in their shoes right then. They had no idea. They had experienced miracles with Jesus. They had experienced even themselves being able to cast out demons. They did not experience the power of the Holy Spirit. So they had no point of reference except to see what Jesus did. And him telling them, look, what I do, you're going to do even more. So recognize their point of reference. Put it in your own place where, where you look at your own surroundings and think this is impossible. How can we even figure out what God's going to do? God, you tell us what you're going to do. And it's so hard to believe because of what's around us. Put yourself in their shoes. Okay? Verse 1. In the first... Uh, no, wait. No, no, no. Sorry, let's go chapter 2. Did I say chapter 2? Yeah, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day, and this is after they've been waiting up in the upper room now for 10 days. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. By the way, there's about 120 of them up there. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Because this was the time everybody was having to come back to, to Jerusalem. And at this sound... This was an external sound. This wasn't just something they felt in their spirit. This was an external sound. At this sound, the multitude, those outside of this room, outside of the, the upper room, the multitudes came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So understand what's going on here. You have something that is so loud and making such a commotion that it drew some 3,000 people. Was it 3,000? Yes. Yeah. 3,000. I, I always get the three and the five mixed up. 3,000 people to that place. That's kind of like if you started hearing something insanely loud and you started seeing stuff going on in the house across the street, it's going to capture your attention. You're going to walk over there. Right? If you If you started to see the the house on fire next door and and people running around because it's on fire, there's something going on. It draws your attention. You go over there and, and can we help? You know, what, what do we need to do? That This has captured our attention. That's what it did to those 3,000 people that were around. Now, that's not a small thing. <laughs> 3,000 people, you know, remember, they didn't have microphones. They didn't have, you know, uh, the, the technology we do today. So this was not a small ruckus. This was loud. The Holy Spirit was loud. He came across loud. There was a noise. They heard it outside the building. They came. And then they began to witness 
what was going on, each one speaking in a different tongue. Right? That wasn't the real amazing part of that story, though. The amazing part of that story is when Peter stands up. And if you know Peter's life from the previous three years, you know that this is the guy who is really good at putting his foot in his mouth. He's really good at stepping into things he didn't mean to step into. And yet he stands up, and the Holy Spirit speaks through him in such power that those people come to know the Lord. And, and if you read that, it's extraordinary, because it's so different than what he was literally days and weeks before. So the filling of the Holy Spirit changed everything. This was the beginning of the bride. This was the beginning of the church. We all know it. I didn't even have to go through all that. You guys know that. We understand it. Why? Because that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're waiting for. And what the Holy Spirit told me this morning is why? Why do you think it's going to look anything like that? Because it's not going to. It's not going to. Why? Because he's doing a new thing. The very description of a new thing means something you don't know. He's doing a new thing. Now, that isn't to say that there aren't elements of that that will happen. I'm not saying that. I mean, the Holy Spirit, the Father, Jesus, they, they are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But he's doing a new thing. Now, let me tell you, the stakes are different, too. See, and this is where you have to be careful in going in, you know, as, as a studier, going in and looking at what happened at the beginning and applying it to today in, in terms of circumstance. I don't mean application of principle. I'm talking about circumstances. Because this was the beginning of the church. The time that we're entering now is different than this. See, what we're entering now is the maturity of the bride. Think about a child as they grow. There's a dramatic change when a child goes through something that brings them into a mental maturity. An understanding about life. Something changes. It's different than when they were born. See, you could go back and say, well, okay, it should look like when they're born. When they're born, they came out, you know, they, they weren't crying, so you, you know, smack them on the rear and they cry. Why don't you do that when they're 14? I don't know, maybe some of us do. <laughs> Stop crying. <laughs> oh, by the way, I did not do that to my children. Just saying. <laughs> Just want to get that on record. No, but the point is, it was different. It was different when they were born to when they became mature as a young person or a young adult. It was different. Why do we think it'll be the same when the bride becomes a mature bride? See, if the bride were mature right now, Jesus would have already come and taken his bride. Because what he is waiting for 
is simply the unity of the bride, the maturity of the bride. If you don't believe me, read Song of Songs. That's what the whole book is about. Yes, it can be applied to marriage and all that stuff. <laughs> Sorry, I'm distracted. There's a whole line of birds that are watching me through the window over there. And it's just funny. Now there's, well, he just left. Okay. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> that really threw me off. Where was I? Song of songs. Song of songs. There we go. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Forgive me, Lord. See, in the Song of Songs, it's about a bride being becoming ready for her groom. That's what the bride of Christ is to become for her groom, who is Jesus. The bride is not ready when the bride doesn't even like each other. Well, you know what? Our beliefs are better than yours. You know, our, our church is better than yours. Well, no, we, we, we can't do that event together because, you know, that event, man, it just looks so good. We're afraid we're going to lose some people to your church. Do you know, I've actually had pastors tell me that. I mean, that... I mean, thank you for being honest, but wow. Wow. They're not your people to begin with. They're gods. The bride is to come together. The bride is to unify in love. That's why Jesus said the entire law, the entire book of the law can be wrapped up into two things, two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love each other the same. Love each other like you'd love yourself. Now, by the way, if you don't love yourself, you haven't figured out the first one. Because when you love the Lord with everything you are, He shows you how important you are. And how lovable you are. And how he loves you with the very blood of his son. So the second part, love each other in the same way. That's what the bride hasn't gotten yet. But see, that is a ready bride. And there will come a time, and that time is coming now, it is beginning now, that that will come to pass. Where the bride is ready and he does come and takes his bride in the rapture. That's coming. But it's not coming until the bride sees each other as they should. Okay, so this event of the readying of the bride, this, this, this um, progressional thing, the way the bride matures, it's not an overnight thing. Just like the beginning of the church was not an overnight thing. Right? If you read in the book of Acts, all through Acts, then you read the Pauline epistles and all that. It was a laborious affair. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was arduous. It was painful. It was long. It was war. What makes you think it'll be any different in the readying of the bride? It's war. Even more so 
Because, see, we see what happened then. We have more to go on. It's even more so because the closer we get to the end, Satan knows it. He fights even harder. So what makes you think that as we go into the readying of the bride, it's supposed to look like this? It's not. And I say this because it's important for you to understand. So many people get caught up in what church is supposed to look like. And and I'm speaking to my charismatic friends right now. So many people look and they, they see the external things of what something's supposed to look like, and they judge it based on that. Well, you know, they don't speak in tongues yet, so they must not be filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't know what the baptism of the Spirit is. Oh, I wish they would get the baptism of the Spirit. I'm here to tell you, I know what the baptism of the Spirit is. I know what it is. I know what it was here. I understand what that means. But what I'm trying to tell you is that there's something new that God is trying to do. Not something new like some new power that he's doing. That's not what I mean. A different strategy. That God is beginning. So, if you come here to ignition, you're going to see people speak in tongues. You're going to see others who don't. You're going to see people that prophesy. You'll see others that don't. But what I want people to see is the main thing. You see a people that love God and will lay down everything for him. And a people that will lay everything down for each other. That's the writing of the bride. And let me tell you something. It's infectious. It's infectious. The Lord hasn't released us yet. Kind of like he's holding that infection in. That's a bad word, isn't it? Infection. Uh, Well, think of something better for me. I I don't know. But that's really what happens. Maybe contagious. That's a better word. How's that? Yeah, no, infectious just works better, right? It it just really does. I don't know. It, It just... It's a contagious infection. There you go. But... Bottom line is love. When you love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and you love each other in the same way, it has effect on the people around you. It's supposed to. It's supposed to. And when we have that effect on each other, and then God gives us outreach, God gives us connection with others outside of us, especially those in the bride, We are to have that love. Why? Because it's supposed to go to them. We're supposed to all come to the realization that we're in this together. And then from that place, God starts to put all the things in alignment that are supposed to be in alignment. Like the destroyer who has authority over this country. By the way, he doesn't anymore. He lost that. 
That's what we took him to court for. That's why he manifests through Anissus so we could see that court case. By the way, I'll share with you about the time that started. Was it a year and a half ago that we had the first court case? Do you remember? December 26, 2016, 2017. I challenge you. So that's a year and a half ago. I challenge you to look at what's happened in this country since then. And I challenge you to watch what happens even in the next few weeks. Because the very exposure that the destroyer and Satan himself have tried to keep hidden in this country because of the authority they've had for centuries will be exposed. Abortion will be a thing of the past in this nation. Because, see, that was his greatest achievement. If he could get this country to a place where they offered sacrifice of unborn babies. It was a perpetual authority that this country would give. See, that has, the authority of it has been broken. We still have the effects of it. Obviously, it's still legal, right? We still have states that are pushing it as hard as they can. But see, Satan makes a mistake, or he takes a risk when he takes authority from somebody in a line that eventually God can use to take back that authority. See, God doesn't need some super person. God just needs a yes. That's all he does. I'm telling you, that's all I gave him. I just said, yes, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Speak through me. You have my mouth. Take me anywhere you want. You have my feet. I just give you a yes, because in return, I want to be your best friend. I just want to be in proximity to you. I just want to be able to sit at your feet and not have to leave. I just want to be with you all the time. I want to know your voice. Because, see, I can't always reach out to my friends. I can't always reach out to my family, but I can always be with him. So that's all I wanted. And that's all he needed was that yes in my life. That's all he needs in your life is a yes. Now, by the way, that's everything. It'll cost you everything. It'll cost you everything that you think you need or want. Because he will, he will not allow anything to come between you when you say yes. But then Satan also has a right to test that, just like he did with Peter. When Peter said, I will never, I will die with you if they take your life. I will die with you. I will stand up with you. Do you understand? Satan had immediately the right in court to say, I test that statement because he's lying. That's why Jesus said to Peter when he said that, he said, he said, Satan has asked to sift you, and you will be sifted. But I'm praying for you, and you will come through. And we know what happened. Peter had his moment, had his opportunity, and he ran. 
In fact, he, he was the one that was literally cornered on it. Right? When they, they came and, well, aren't you one of the disciples that was with No, no, that wasn't me. And he even gets angry about it. He was sifted. He was tested because he gave his yes, but his yes didn't mean everything. Because he didn't understand. He didn't understand the cost. He was, he was not one of those builders that counts the cost before they begin to build. Count the cost. And I say that here. That's a hard word here. You won't hear that in many churches. Because you have to understand. It doesn't bother me if it forces you to leave. If it forces you to leave, it's because you are not supposed to be here. You are not supposed to be here. Because what God has planned for you, what he has planned for this church, will require a complete yes. But let me tell you what happens when you do that. When you do that, you understand what it means to be the child of the king. You understand the privileges that that brings, being the child of the king. Do you know when we went to Nigeria, Casey was adopted by the Teve king? By the way, that was not some random ceremonial whatever thing. That was so serious. Even at the time, I thought, oh, that's really nice. <laughs> I didn't recognize what that really meant. You know, I, I, I was emailing with the queen a, a week and a half ago, and, and at the end she said, she said, make sure you say hi to your family for me, and, and make sure you say hello to our adopted daughter. See, she has, we may go there as a team, and we may have to stay in the temporary housing. She's the only one that gets to go stay in the palace. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because she's an adopted daughter. See, that's what it is to be a child of God. When you say yes. See, when you say a nominal yes and you're not willing to count the cost and you're not willing to give all that it takes for a real yes, then what you're really saying is, well, yeah, I love you, but I'm going to handle my own life. Because I want to control my career. I want to control my relationships. Hey, guys. The birds are back. Sorry. <laughs> They're listening. It's good. It's all right. But what he wants, he wants you to give him your complete yes, knowing the cost. Because then you be, become an adopted child. You get access to the palace. It, it's not just when she's invited, by the way. It's whenever she wants to go. See, it's the same with Jesus. You give him your complete yes. You get to go sit at his feet whenever you want. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a, well, you know, um, is today a good day for you, Lord? I'll come about two. How's that? Can we work that out? No, it's, I could go anytime I want because I'm a child of the king. I could go before the father. Why? Because he wants me to. He wants me to. 
And in exchange, He gives a calling on my life that gives me purpose beyond just being with Him. Because then that purpose goes to the second thing that we're called to, and that is loving each other. My purpose that He gave now is to bring the bride together in unity. That begins with me loving each one. Right? That begins with me loving Shannon. Loving Josh. Josh is so much easier than Shannon. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I know. But see, then, then he gives you purpose in your life. So don't look at this and think, why are things not going like this? When, when do we get to see the fire? Now, by the way, there will be fire. The Lord's told us there will be fire. I think it's going to be a whole lot more than these little tongues of fire that rest over our heads. And, and by the way, he's even said that. He said it will be here, and he said it will be in the building, but it will be consuming. I get a kick out of that because when this house is consumed with fire, what do you think that's going to do? You think it'll draw a few people? Yeah, I think half the fire department will be drawn. And they won't think, okay, why aren't those people running away? Wait, there's people in there. Wait, wait, we got to get them out. No, come on in. Come on in. It's, hey, it's good in here. It's good in here. Why isn't it burning up? No, it's on fire. If you think this is a metaphor, you're kidding yourself. It's not. It wasn't a metaphor then. The sound was real. The fire they saw was real. The effects of it was real. It's going to be the same thing with us. The same thing in the readying of the bride, but different. Don't look for what's happening here. Man, make your expectations bigger. Because as big as you can make them, they're not big enough. That I guarantee you. It can't be. Because the reading of the bride is a bigger, it has bigger obstacles than this did. It always does. Just like the pioneering of the reading of the bride, which is what we're called to and what we're doing, will have less that we'll be able to see than those who come on the paved road and get to experience the same thing. Why? Because you're adding more of God's glory. You're adding more yeses to the, to the, to the group that God didn't pour into and pour out of. That's all we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be vessels. But I want to encourage you. This training takes time. And we've, we've gone through that. It was over three years with the disciples. One-on-one. Then Paul. 17 years. 17 years. You know, with Paul, it was three years before he even met Peter and James. And then another 14 years before he became public. If you don't believe me, read Galatians. That's what he says in there. But it was in that time that he understood relationship with Christ. 
Christ began to teach him what the cost would be. So when he stepped out onto those missionary journeys, he knew the cost. He knew what it was going to cost him. He knew eventually it would cost him his life. See, the Lord's taken me through many of those same things in the last five years. He's shown me some of the cost. He will show you some of the cost. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing when he shows you what you're going to be up against. Because it adds so much weight to your yes. He doesn't tell you to scare you. There's no fear in the Lord. There's nothing to be afraid of in the Lord. If he told you right now, you need to join that team moving to Africa, moving to Nigeria, there shouldn't be any fear in that. Especially if you saw the building that they're putting together for us. Good night, honey. I think we need to move to Nigeria. I was going to show you the updated picture today, but I'm just going to let her finish it. Next week, I'll show you the finished thing, and this thing... Seriously, wow. It's amazing. But understand that whatever you're called to, don't be afraid of. Don't be afraid of it. Because God's power is sitting right there waiting for you. It's waiting for you. It's waiting for this church. The unity of this church is what brings, just brings him joy. Brings him joy, and nothing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Nothing. So it does have to do with your yes. It does have to do with your righteousness. It does. I mean, go back and read in Galatians. It does have to do with your walk. It does have to do with your choices of sin. It does have to do with those things, even the little things. In fact, the little things are where we get turned the hardest. God will always expose it if you ask him. And I want to encourage you, when you give him your yes and you begin to purge those things from your life, there will be a power that comes in your relationship with him that you never thought was possible. And I... I can't leave a message without saying this. It will be extraordinary. I will forever be teased, apparently, for using that word, but it has become my favorite word because I do not know how else to describe the Lord and what he does. It will be extraordinary. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your your opportunity as adopted children. You said in your word that even when we accept you as Savior, we are still slaves. But in relationship, we become friends. We become adopted brothers and sisters, gaining access to the Father because of you, Jesus. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that you have promised in power. 
I thank you, Father, that there is nothing that we have missed as a church. But you have brought our focus to be what it is to be on. We focus on you and we focus on loving each other. I thank you for what you're about to do. I can't fathom. You've even shown me and I can't fathom it. It's like trying to understand something that hasn't been invented yet. You can describe it as best you can. But there's an understanding that is only there when it happens. That's how I feel when you've shown me what's about to happen. But Father, I say your timing is perfect. And I pray there is no lag because of us. But as you have set before me before, I choose your perfect will. I don't want just your permissive will. I don't want the good or the better. I want the best. Because it's in the best that I get to sit at your feet and not leave. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. If you keep my body here, that's fine. But I want my spirit to stay there. So much like Enoch when he finally just said, you know what, dude, just stay. That's what I want. That's what I want for each person here. That's what I want for each person watching online. That's what I want for each person listening to this podcast. Because there is power in loving you. There is power in loving each other. There's power of your gospel in it. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to watch something in just a moment before we leave, dismiss today. Um, I just wanted to... The Lord just put something in my heart that I just want to say, you know, in this looking at the screen the whole time and talking about training, taking time. The question for me from the Lord and for all of us is, what are we doing with our training? And yesterday in the gifts meeting, um, it was either Bill or Michael or both, brought out a really excellent point of a military example of how they train over and over and over for a particular something coming, whether it be helicopter crash, I think is what was mentioned. And they do it hundreds of times. And it's all for the purpose of it becoming, I think Bill used the word, instinctive. God wants to train us so that when the next level of where he's taking us comes, that it's an instinctive reaction, that we're so walking in him and in his power that we're ready for that. And this is, as he said, a very different church um, in that 
you know, we have, we have strong paradigms if you grew up going to church. We have strong paradigms where the church kind of directs you. Uh, most people, honestly, I was this way. I didn't remember to tithe until the offering came. Because it was just, I was just relying on the reminders from the church. I wasn't led of the Holy Spirit to literally take charge of my actual checkbook and everything that came in and to tithe from that. Same with service or anything else. It would always be a plea from the pulpit to help this or do this for me to be like, oh, okay, well, boy, they really put pressure on us today, so I need to think about doing that. Instead, it's like the Holy Spirit lights a fire in you with how you can serve him. Um, I, we could not possibly, with our human words, compel the people that are leaving for Nigeria in October and then again after the first of the year to uproot their whole lives from some motivational speech. That's got to be God. See, the, when the move of the Spirit is the thing that guides us and lead us, leads us, it's so powerful. But this whole idea of cost, the, the only thing, and I just say it briefly here. The Lord told me that he would take me from my job. I've been a trainer at a gym for really 30 years. And uh, he would stop, and that would come to a complete and stop uh, end when we were ready to, to move on. And he did that just a couple weeks ago, and, and it's, it's over. But when he got a, my, a hold of my heart before that time, and it was still just my job, there was something that happened in this whole idea of cost and being obedient to God. For some of us, it means we need to change our lives circumstantially to follow him. For others, my job, I didn't leave my job when he got a hold of my heart for this sold out yes, but he changed me in my job. My job became my ministry. And what's happened is even for the bride that is the remnant that loves the Lord, if your job is in any way keeping you from making your relationship with Jesus absolutely first place in everything that he wants you to do, then your lens is incorrect. He will shift. He will change. See, because if, if he's not first, then what we're really saying, it's, it's like when I've heard preachers talk about this idea of um, practical atheism. It's like, you know, when we look at Acts 17, 28, that says we, we live and move and have our being in Christ, right? But if you're living and moving and having your entire being in Christ, then Christ is actually invited into every part of it. Instead, sometimes what we do is we have our church life, our faith life, our, our religious life here. But then in practical, I mean, we've got to be practical, right? I mean, we, you know, God gave us wisdom. We need to use our head. And so we're just going to do X, Y, Z. If we don't invite God into that, we're living, practically speaking, like an atheist. Like, like we don't believe that God is allowed to have a say in that part of our lives. And so I got to challenge you. Sometimes it's right, it sticks right in the, in the tender part of your gut to talk about things like jobs. And for some, maybe it's schooling or relationships. But give it wholly to God. What that might mean is changing it, but definitely it means changing your lens toward it. Everybody's job ought to be their ministry. If you're hosting the presence of God in your life, Everywhere. It changed my performance in that job so significantly when God changed my heart. I mean, and, and I, I had to really also get over the embarrassment of the fact that some of them were like, what's different about her? She wasn't like that before. You know, she wasn't pouring out that kind of love before. 
Because there was. There was like a change. When God got a hold of my heart and I changed, he changed my attitude, I began to pour into people well beyond my job. I prayed for them every single day. Every opportunity I had, both being respectful of my environment and my boss, and also having the freedom and the boldness that I knew with the Holy Spirit's leading, I told them about Jesus. And it, it just changed everything. And even now as I've left there, they're still contacting me. I'm still praying for them. It's still a ministry. God has to be first place. He cannot be this, this cost thing. Sometimes we don't apply. Greg's talked about cost so many times. What cost is it in your life if you're not even giving him your job, your schooling, your relationships? Right. If those things are allowed to dictate and pull you away from what you know God wants you to do in any area, more time with him in secret place, uh, you know, Service. Maybe you've had a compelling to serve the Lord in a particular area, and it has been on the back shelf for years because you just can't do it because of your job or because of this commitment or that commitment. Man, I know how that feels. But now is the training time. And how you do in training is what will become instinctive for you when the power and the changes and the things to come that he talked about this morning will actually be here. So think about that. Um, and be excited, though, because, man, the payoff is so great. If you think that God won't fulfill you like what you're pursuing, then you don't know God. Yes. If anything yes. you're pursuing gets you more excited than God and all that he is, then there is an aspect of practical atheism in your life. Mm. And I pray that not be so, because God just delights in every part of our life. I mean, he'll help you shop. He'll help you eat right. He'll help you respond better to things that annoy you. He'll help you sacrifice. He'll keep you on your feet longer than you think your body can stay on your feet if that is what he wants to do. Because he's limitless. He knows our limits. But when was the last time you placed your limits into his hands? And watch what he does with it. Because it's different for all of us. He is so awesome. He is so awesome. Speaking of how awesome.